So we're starting our special summer series off with uh, some interviews that we want to do with members of the DBB community. Uh, names you've probably seen in the comments. Some people that really make our community the great basketball community that it is. Uh, and, and on for our first episode is a very special guest, someone I'm glad we could have on, Mike Nickel, also known as Supadoop on the boards. How are you, Mike? Good, good. Good to meet you guys. Yes, and as always, joining me is Ben Gulker. How are you, Ben? Happy summer. Living the dream. Awesome. Well, yeah, it's uh, been a little while since we've talked, so we actually have pretty much a whole off-season to talk about, Ben. <laughs> yeah, and a lot happened, so uh, hopefully we can keep this episode under three hours. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, this was... <laughs> Going in, I'm not sure what everyone's expectations were for the offseason, but this was much more action than I expected, and I'm sure we'll talk about that a little later. But uh, I want to start with Mike. Uh, you are the first uh, to come on this this podcast that isn't a contributing editor and a contributing member uh, to the Bad Boys, but definitely you contribute in your own way as uh, as a fan to the site and a fan to the Pistons. So let's talk a bit about you as a fan. Uh, when did you start following the Pistons? And uh, what are some of your earliest memories with the team? Sure. So um, I, I actually I should probably start with a confession, actually. <laughs> I started to get into basketball when I was like 9 or 10, and I'm 31 now, so that would have put me right around like 94, 95. Um, and even a little bit before then, too, I started watching a little bit, but I really started playing around then. So, of course, uh, you know, everybody at grade school and uh, – ESPN, anytime you turn on the TV, it was Michael Jordan. So naturally, I was a Chicago Bulls fan. Um, really up until the point where he retired the second time. Um, and then kind of had to find a new team because they weren't any good then. <laughs> so I could kind of see the writing on the wall there. Um, didn't really have a team there for a couple of years. I enjoyed like the Trailblazers teams, um, the Chris Webber, Kings, of course with all the ball movement and shooting. Uh, they were a lot of fun to watch and root for. And I hated the Lakers. I always hated the Lakers. Um, they were really easy to root against. So um, it, it really wasn't until um, it was right around when uh, Grant Hill was traded where I really started to watch. My older brother's been a fan forever, and he's five years older than me. So I think he probably has some memories of, like, the bad boys teams. Um but by the time I started following basketball, uh, I was kind of the teal years for them. And it was just kind of an added bonus to root for the Bulls, who were always winning. But then I could always rub it into my older brother, too, that they dominated the Pistons. So, <laughs> um, But some of my earliest memories, I remember going to a game and sitting very close to the court, um, which hasn't happened a whole lot at the Palace. So... I think, like, Grant Long was playing, so it was during those years, like Terry Mills, that kind of thing. I think they were playing the Heat, um, and I don't think they won, but it was a lot of fun to go, and uh, so that's probably really the first thing that I remember, um, you know, other than, like, kind of vaguely uh, the bad boy stuff with my mom and my brother. My dad uh, only really got into basketball because my brother played, and then... I ended up playing too, um, you know, from the time I was in grade school all the way through high school, basically. So, um, so then, I, you know, I, once I really started understanding basketball rather than just, you know, kind of consuming it at a casual level, um, I, I kind of see what 
um, or understand what the Pistons were going for with their team when they traded for Ben Wallace and, you know, the focus on defense, that type of thing. So that's really when I started to watch them was kind of the beginning of the going to work era, which was obviously pretty exciting. Yeah, that's about the same time that I really started to follow it, too. I think I had grown up watching more college sports and football, especially, and, and didn't really get into basketball until probably I was in maybe middle school. Uh, so it was the early, uh, you know, probably early 2000s that I really started to follow basketball. And it's funny because one of your first memories being, you know, kind of close to the court, that's one of mine as well, is being back in the teal days, probably the best seats I've ever had in my life. I was maybe six or seven years old, and it was watching a team that, you know, wasn't going to make the playoffs in a building that wasn't sold out, but just having so much fun, and that's kind of when I fell in love with it, but then really started to follow it when the team got better, and I was able to understand it a little bit more. Uh, Ben, what about you? When did you start to kind of follow the team? Oh, man, since I can remember, um, I was born into a Pistons family. So I'm a little bit older. I was born in 83, so I do have some memories of the bad boys. Um, I was I was the biggest fan I've ever heard of. I would cry when they lost. I would, you know, stay up late and watch them. Um, interestingly, one of my first things that I remember is actually a bit of a non-memory. When uh, Vinny Johnson hit the game winner, um, I was on family vacation. And my parents made me go to bed, and I actually... Uh, didn't get to see the game, but I woke up in the middle of the night and woke my mom up <laughs> and made her tell me who had won. Um, I, I was just a little kid at that point. Um, but I think one of the things that stands out most in my mind is I was um, sort of fortunate and unfortunate enough to be at Isaiah Thomas's last game. So that was the first game I ever went to as a kid. Um, drove all the way, grew up on the west side of the state, drove all the way over. Uh, and in the stands, we didn't know what had happened. We just saw him sort of... Um, getting sort of helped off the court and next day found out that, you know, his career was essentially going to be going to be over. So that's, uh, you know, one of my most vivid memories, but I've been a fan as long as I can remember. Um, I've loved basketball since I was about two years old when I started playing. So Pistons fan for life, but I will say, uh, Mike, I, I don't talk about this much. I don't admit it much, but I also rooted for the Bulls in their second three-peat um, <laughs> because the Pistons were, you know, they just weren't much to watch at that point. And uh, I always kind of consider myself a basketball fan before I'm a fan of any particular team. And to me, that, that second three-peat was, you know, some of the best basketball that's ever been played. And, and so I was, I was a fan in the sense that I wanted them to win once they made the playoffs. And I didn't root for them necessarily throughout the whole the whole season. I did watch them a lot, but uh, I, I'm with you in that. That that was a that's just a thing of beauty. And thanks to the wonderful technology of the internet, you actually go on YouTube, and I sometimes I get lost in watching some of those old videos. That team was just so much fun to watch. So, yeah, lifelong Pistons fan, born and bred, and to this day. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I, I grew up more, I, I, well, Ben, I think we both grew up Michigan fans as well, yeah, right? Yeah. Yep, yeah. absolutely. And I followed football so closely, but then when I started to get into basketball, it was after Space Jam, Jordan plays baseball. <laughs> yeah. So it was like the end of the 3P when I re- really started to understand the game. And, uh, yeah, the Bulls were just so much fun to watch back in the day. But I think another thing it kind of brings us together, too, is our hatred of the Lakers. Yeah. And <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but I'm starting to hate them again. I After watching Definitely. Summer League 
and how you know Lakers fans and these kind of bandwagon fans have jumped back on with Lonzo Ball and Magic Johnson sitting courtside. They're starting to get annoying again. <laughs> and it, it's been a while. They went away for a little bit. There was a, a hibernation, and now uh, now they're they're back. Before you know, they've even made the playoffs. They've already they're already kind of. And let's over be real. Life. It's Lakers fans even more than it's the Lakers, right? I mean, yes. always in, insufferable. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, just quickly on Summer League, did either of you follow uh, the Pistons Summer League at all? Yeah. yeah I, I, oh, go ahead, Mike. You go ahead. Sorry. Uh, I, I didn't really get a chance, uh, to be quite honest. Um, I followed some of the Las Vegas stuff just because I happened to be in a hotel room while I was visiting uh, my brother. So it was just kind of on TV, and I could watch some of that stuff. But uh, as far as actually watching it, not so much. I'd take a look at the box scores and, of course, check out uh, DBB. But other than that, not really. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't get to watch it. Work schedules doesn't permit. But um, I was I was really interested in um, Kennard, so I, I was uh, I was pleasantly surprised to see some of those highlights. Um, he looks a little more athletic than I think we were maybe thinking he was. So that's exciting to me. Yeah, I was excited to see him as well, and to see Henry Ellenson kind of after you getting to see glimpses glimpses of him at the end of the season. Uh, but that's kind of one knock I have against Orlando Summer League is having the games during the day does make it very difficult to follow the just to follow the entire league with all the games done by 5 p.m. It would be great if, like, Vegas Summer League, if they could put the games on at night because I think they would get a bigger audience and, you know, then I could actually watch it. <laughs> so it would be great if they could do that. Yeah, and, you know, every time we talk about Summer League, I remind myself that Austin Day might be a Summer League Hall of Famer, so <laughs> take everything with a little bit of a grain of salt. No, that's right. Uh, ben, do we want to, and Michael ask you the same same question, do we want to talk about this offseason? And if, if we do, where do we want to start? Do we want to start with the draft? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Uh, well, yeah, let's start with draft night. I think that was going into the draft, there were probably a handful of players that I think most of the Detroit Bad Boys community had gotten around that, they were interested in in that position. It was Zach Collins, Donovan Mitchell, Luke Kennard was definitely one that was always mentioned. And when the the pick came up, Donovan Mitchell going 13 to Utah and the Pistons taking Luke Kennard at 12. Uh, are you happy, Ben, with the pick now that you've seen the summer league and seen what, what Mitchell and some of the other players drafted around uh, the Pistons pick have done? Are you happy with the pick of Luke Kennard? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think... You can certainly make the case for Mitchell. There's no question about it. People who were disappointed that, that Mitchell didn't get picked, I, I understand where they're coming from. Um, but I'll tell you why I like the pick, and it's simple. It's team needs. I mean, the team has needed shooting for years and years and years at this point, and the kid can flat-out shoot the basketball. Um, there's no question about it. You look at his percentages across the board. Elite free-throw shooter, very good three-point shooter. And, you know, potentially a little bit better off the dribble. I know it's just summer league, so we don't want to get carried away. But maybe potentially a little bit better off the dribble than we were expecting. Now, with that said, you know, I don't have super high hopes that he's going to be a real big impact player in year one. Um, But I'm glad to see, and in this, we get into the Bradley trade with this a little bit as well. I'm glad to see Van Gundy looking at the draft as a way to address team needs rather than just looking at, you know, maybe who's the best prospect or who has the higher ceiling or something like that. Um, shooting's the obvious need, and there 
they're looking at it quite seriously when we look at the offseason as the whole and the draft in particular. And, Mike, what about you? What did you think of the pick of Kennard? I liked it. Uh, he was a guy that was obviously talked about, um, you know, amongst Pistons fans, especially on the site. And um, I didn't actually get to see him get picked. I was on site for uh, a work event. Uh, I actually work from home every day. Um, so I had to go down to Texas to kind of meet everybody for our annual meeting. Um, so I was at Dave and Buster's and I was trying to, trying to find some screens where I could watch a little bit while we were doing like some team building stuff. But, uh, when I saw they picked him, I was, I was happy. Um, the thing I, I think everybody gets wrapped up in is they have their favorite guys that they want to get drafted by, you know, their favorite teams, and that's fine. But, um, you know, as somebody who doesn't follow college sports in general very closely, um, I don't really get wrapped up into that. So um, I think you just have to have a little patience and see how things shake out, right? So, you know, a certain player can um, maybe have some things he does well and doesn't do well in college, but, you know, those things don't always translate, both things, the pros and the cons. So kind of got to let things play out, but... Um, like Ben was saying, you know, you look at kind of the highlights um, and those types of things. And, you know, Kennard does look a little more athletic than I think um, we were thinking. I was kind of thinking maybe, you know, a Kyle Korver type um, that can come in and knock down some shots, not necessarily do much on defense, but somebody who can have a long career just because he has one elite talent. But, you know, you watch him in, in the highlights and in summer league and stuff and, Pretty good off the dribble. Um, you know, it's not always NBA talent that's guarding him, but it is um, a reason for optimism, I think. So, and I made this comment um, on the site too. Um, I just remember this, but I said we we've had a void of uh, of a John Barry type in quite some time. So, I'm I'm very happy that uh, he might be reaching that that level or that skill set where he can come off the bench, run around, get some. Get some shots up, knock some shots down, um, get some guys excited, you know, make some cool passes, that type of thing. So very excited for that. Yeah, I, I am as well. I'm interested to see how much he's going to play this season. Uh, I know, you know, with Van Gundy kind of being stuck the last few seasons with a nine-man rotation, I wonder how much Kennard will play and, and how much we might be looking at, you know, Grand Rapids box scores to see uh, Kennard basketball this next season. But, uh, Ben, I... I initially wasn't that happy with the pick because I really wanted Donovan Mitchell but I think you're right just having someone who has that that elite shooting ability is something this team so desperately needed especially a bench player uh, that can shoot like that and if we can get that in the next few seasons out of Kennard I think that's that's huge for this team going forward uh, before we even talk about the the new guy that's in front of him on the depth chart Ben do you expect to see him playing this year, or is that a, too much to ask for a rookie uh, in his first, you know, first year in the NBA? Well, he might have to play a little bit out of necessity. Um, early on, we've got a Reggie Bullock suspension to navigate and that kind of stuff, so he, he might get some minutes early um, just by necessity. But I would expect him to be third on the depth chart. Um, I, I think you're probably right. Grand Rapids is probably where he's going to get the majority of his reps and his minutes. 
Uh, so no, I don't expect a lot. But if his shooting translates quickly, and, you know, sometimes that can take a while. The three-point line is obviously longer. The guys defending are more athletic and can, can get in your face a little bit more quickly and a little bit higher. But if, you know, if he's shooting 35% from deep consistently, he, he might be able to make a case for some minutes if he can at least be a, a passable defender, right? So I don't expect a lot, but if he can shoot 35%, and by the end of the season, if he plays five to ten minutes a game, if if he earns that, I think that would be a very successful season for him, given he's got, you know, Avery Bradley ahead of him, sort of an all-world defender, and then Reggie Bullock, who, if he's healthy, also a positive player, I think, a, a underrated defender and a good shooter. So, you know, for me, that would be success for Kennard. If he can get in there a handful of minutes a game and, and shoot the ball consistently, that would be a successful rookie season. Mike, do you expect to see uh, see him in the Pistons uniform this year that much? Those things are always kind of hard to predict. Um, you never know how the guys in front of him on the theoretical depth chart are going to do. You can't always, you know, predict injuries, that type of thing. But, you know, if everything kind of remains the same, um, I don't think we'll, we'll see a lot of him, but you never know. Um, right after he was drafted, there was a, Stan Van Gundy quote about his defense, and it said he's it's uh, something that he'll certainly need to take a different approach on, or something to that effect. So, <laughs> um, I think he might be in in Grand Rapids, kind of working on those types of things, just so it, you know it, it isn't a complete minus on that end of the floor. But um, you know, I, I hope so. They, they're sorely lacking in shooting, and it seems like something he can definitely provide at least for a few minutes off the bench. Yeah, and I think just from another angle as well, it's nice to have him on the roster pushing Stanley Johnson for minutes as well. So I'd have to think there's a, a bit of overlap in uh, the minutes they would play, seeing as Stanley played a lot at the two the last few seasons. Uh, I'm not sure if that's the plan going forward, but I would have to think, you know, if you're looking at what nine are we going to see night in and night out, uh, you know, not taking in, you know injuries or anything else like that into account, I, I would have to think that, you know, it's, it's good to have someone that's pushing guys like Reggie Bullock and uh, Stanley Johnson for minutes. And having someone like Kennard who, you know, I think he said after three practices, I, I knew what I needed to do defensively more than I, more than I did coming into the league. So if you have someone that's, that's eager to get out there, uh, seems to, you know, pick up things pretty quickly, uh, I think it's good to have that, you know, uh, in practice and, and good to have it backing up some guys that have been around the league for a few years. Um, not much else to take away from the draft. Uh, no, you uh, have you, Ben. I'm sure you've seen uh, what Donovan Mitchell has done in summer league. Yeah, yeah. Uh, doesn't make you rethink the Canard pick at all. Well, make me rethink it. How about how about this? Since you're the Mitchell fan, why don't you persuade me? Let's let's go about it that way. I'm gonna put I'm gonna put you on the spot for once. No, that's fair. I I think just his his defensive versatility is the biggest thing to me that would get him on the court faster, gotcha. and that might give him you know more minutes and more opportunities to get out there. And he he ended up shooting the ball much better in summer league than I think many people expected. But I think it, Utah is actually actually might be a better fit for him as a player. Uh, you know they they want him as kind of a you know, they can play him off the ball more. He, he might share the backcourt with Dante Axum a bit. That's probably a better situation. But with Mitchell, I think what you're getting is someone who is a, a better athlete, a better defender, and probably has a little higher ceiling as a 
you know, potential to, to be a starter, uh, while I think Kennard might end up being more of a role player. Not that that's a knock. It's it's a role that we need. It's it's something that this team needs. But I think Mitchell has the opportunity to be a better pro. He's got more more tools to be a better pro, I should say. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, it, it's certainly to me it it signals a way of like I said, the off season and the whole sort of signals that. They're looking to address team needs sooner rather than later. Like, you look at the Ellenson pick and you look at the Stanley Johnson pick. Um, you know, those two guys are were so far away from being real NBA contributors. And maybe Kennard is too. But, you know, to me, like Stanley in particular, his shooting just, it was, it didn't address a team need, right? I mean, they were just sort of picking the guy with the highest ceiling. And there's nothing wrong with that, I don't think. Um, I, I think that's actually, there's a strong argument to be made that that's the best way to go. But... You know, to me, Van Gundy's been here for a handful of years. Well, not quite a handful, but several years now. And um, he hasn't done anything about the team's greatest need, which has obviously been shooting. So, you know, I, I'm content with the pick, even if, you know, Kennard doesn't prove to be a better pro than some of the guys taken after him, because I, I'm really hopeful that the thing he does really well is going to translate. So, I mean, rethink? No, I, I'm not going to rethink it yet, but I totally understand where you're coming from at the same time. And it, it does it does kind of remind me of the Stanley Johnson Justice Winslow debate that sure. you know, has been kicking around on yeah. DBB the last few years. And with Winslow missing most of last season, that's kind of uh, and Stanley not playing well. I think that debate is still out there. But uh, you do it does kind of come back to to Stan Van, and these are the decisions that when you pull it back and, and look over you know the next few seasons, those are the picks that that you know could make the difference in if he has a job in the next, in the future or not, or, um, you know, if this team is a contender or, you know, still just trying to tread water. So uh, it's another one that, that, you know, we would be discussing, I'm sure, no matter what. But even if we pick Mitchell, it would be the same thing. Kennard goes out for, you know, let's say Utah and shoots 40% in summer league and, you know, puts up 15 points a game. We'd be having the same conversation. So that, that's just how it is this time of year. That's part of it. Uh, moving on to free agency, which I expected to be very quiet and to just be, you know, at some point KCP gets his money and otherwise we just kind of go about our business. And then a, a couple bombs dropped in free agency. The first being signing Langston Galloway, three years, 21 million, putting the team up against the hard cap if they wanted to sign KCP to a max deal. And there were a few days there where it was really uncertain if, KCP, if the team even had room to sign KCP. Uh, let's just take us back to, to that point in time. Mike, what what were your expectations after Galloway had signed? What did you think the team was doing before they traded for Avery Bradley? So, to me, it kind of signaled that KCP probably wasn't coming back just because, like you said, it put him up against the hard cap to do. Um, you know, I kind of reading the tea leaves a little bit by what... Um, uh, Gores had said about, you know, being willing to spend on a team that's winning, and that's certainly something that they haven't really been doing lately, and to spend a whole bunch of money on, you know, players that aren't performing necessarily, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So I, I was intrigued, um, probably more than Galloway himself being signed, <laughs> just because I was kind of expecting another uh, domino to fall, and that's exactly what happened. Um, 
So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy with the moves. I understand them. Um, I think logically it makes sense. And certainly after we've, we've learned that, um, you know, KCP rejected their offer earlier in the year, I'm completely fine with it. It's not like they just, you know, kind of let them go for, for nothing. Um, you know, we had, they had to trade Mike's still there? Morris, of course. But I think that kind of also opens up some Better possibilities for, um, yeah, I, I, I understand the moves individually. And I think um, going forward, I'm, I'm much more comfortable, I guess, with Avery Bradley than I am KCP. I understand KCP might theoretically have a higher ceiling and you know he's a hard worker and everything and he's improved but that's not a guarantee that he's ever going to fully realize that and that was you know it's a gamble to let him go of course but they got a better two-way player um and certainly somebody who could really lock down on defense so i'm to be completely honest i'm I'm much more happy that they went that route than just re-signing KCP to a whole bunch of money, and then we're left hoping that he, uh, Drummond, and Jackson all perform to their theoretical potential. So I have I have no qualms about them going out and getting a guy that's already kind of a finished product. And Ben, what do you think about that? Are you happy with uh, the ultimately the trade to get Avery Bradley and renouncing the rights to KCP? What did you uh, What did you think of that move, and do you prefer Bradley to KCP? Yeah, so that's a huge question, right? Like, uh, so Galloway's going to have to convince me that he's a productive player in the first place. I was not thrilled with that signing. I think so. Every year in free agency, Van Gundy has gone out and overpaid free agents that no one else was really pursuing, or at least no one else was publicly pursuing, right? Like, so Cartier Martin, Aaron Gray, Jody Meeks, now Langston Galloway. It, it, I don't get it. I don't get why you're paying these guys who are, at best, bench players more money than they're worth on the first day of free agency, especially in this case because of the cap profile, right? It, It's an odd approach to free agency, and it's a pattern. It's not just a one-off thing. So I'm... I'm cold on the Langston Galloway signing. I, I hope he plays well, and I hope he proves me wrong, but I'm cold on that one. Um, but we still got Reggie Bullock, so those two will have to kind of duke it out a little bit, and maybe Galloway plays a little backup one. We'll see. Um, so the Bradley trade just in a vacuum, I think the Pistons won that trade. I think Bradley for Marcus Morris is a win for the Pistons in and of itself, uh, and they also got a pick out of it. So I think that that's a win if you look at it in the vacuum. What I don't love is that this is the second time Van Gundy has let a, a desirable player walk as a restricted free agent, right? So Greg Monroe probably didn't have much control over that situation. Greg probably made his mind up well before Van Gundy was at the helm, right? But losing a player of his caliber, even though you know a player like him is, is worth a little less now than 10 years ago, Losing it for nothing is not ideal, right? And same thing with KCP. I mean, if if they were committed to sort of a, a four-year, $80 million deal, or was it five years, $80 million? I forget exactly what the numbers were. But if, if they were set at that limit and they knew KCP didn't want it, it's odd to, to just um, not try to move them or not try to flip them and then let them walk. And there was just little to no buzz all season long about the, any of that sort of happening. And I think... All of the beat writers and everybody in the know was sort of assuming KCP was going to be back. So losing him for nothing 
you know, I, I don't love that. I don't, I don't think that's a win. I think the Bradley for Morris trade is a win in a vacuum, but, you know, losing KCP for nothing is, is a bit of a loss. Um, with that said, though, I'm glad the Pistons didn't max KCP because I think that's a big bet on a guy who's been very, very inconsistent on the offensive end. There's a case to be made that last year the injury is more to blame for the poor shooting than anything else, but there's also an argument to be made that if you look at KCP's you know, several NBA seasons right now, you see him go hot and cold when injuries have nothing to do with it. So you know, a max contract to KCP was essentially putting yourself up against the hard cap and maybe the apron and locked into a core of players whose absolute best-case scenario is like 48 to 50 wins, and that's if everything goes perfectly, right? That's if Reggie Jackson is healthy. That's if Andre Drummond is recommitted to defense and, and on down the line. Um, so I'm, I'm happy that the Pistons didn't put themselves in that situation, and that's less a comment about KCP as a player and more a comment about the roster as a whole, all of the moves leading up to KCP's free agency um, put them in a position where I think they made the right decision. They weren't going to make a max contract gamble on KCP being a 30, 37, 38, 39% three-point shooter, which he's never done consistently. So I don't love losing him for nothing. I think, you know, that's a loss, like I said. But I'm glad the Pistons aren't locked into you know, a core of players who don't have a really clear path to anything much more than, you know, middle of the pack in the Eastern Conference. Obviously, they're going to have to figure out what they want to do with Bradley if they want to try to lock him up long term, et cetera, et cetera. It, it sort of punts just another year down the road. You have the same decision to make at shooting guard. But I think Avery Bradley is a better player than KCP right now. And, you know, like Mike, you put it, I'm, I'm, cool with them committing to a guy who's more of a finished product as opposed to a guy like KCP who's still very much a a hypothetical there's very much a hypothetical ceiling around him and not a a proven track record of consistent uh, offensive play so on the whole yeah there's there's pros and cons but I, I, I think I'm happy overall with the way things at shooting guard turned out yeah I think I agree with you and the more I I kind of researched uh, in the off season, KCP, there just wasn't enough development between his second year in the league and his fourth year, right. and, and that to me was really worrisome. When it, it, it's not something we talk that much about, uh, you know, we had Ben. I know we had focused so much on, you know, he started the season so well, and the way he ended it was a red flag. And even if you, you know, don't consider the the injury to be the the contributing factor to that, this is still someone that you know is a, a spotty shooter that you know, has been inconsistent game to game. Uh, and while, you know, he is a, a good defender, it was getting tough to kind of quantify that and still, you know, not making up for it on the offensive end. So I I just wasn't sure it was worth, uh, you know, worth max money at the time. And I like the Pistons' decision to say, okay, well, we signed Langston Galloway, so here's $18 million a year. It's the best we can do. Take it or leave it. I'm not bothered by that at all. Uh, if they were dealing with someone other than Rich Paul, I would have liked it a lot more. I think Rich Paul is someone that is smart enough to wait it out. He did it with Tristan Thompson and Eric Bledsoe and got his guys paid. And he was going to get Caldwell Pope paid. And, you know, taking the one-year deal in L.A. I think is smart for all parties. And for the Pistons, I think you're right. I think we get a better player 
uh, when you've got guys like John Wall and Kyrie Irving saying he's you know the best perimeter defender in the league, I think that that speaks volumes to someone that's really well respected, comes in and has a game that I think we can rely on a little bit more, is a ball handler we can rely on more, and is a defender that we're going to use very similarly to Caldwell Pope. So we're not losing much in that way. I, I like it overall, and to give up Marcus Morris is is tough, but I think it's a better gamble than giving KCP what would it have been twenty two, twenty five million a year. That that to me was just too extreme for someone that, when he was you know twenty one years old, was not that different from when he was twenty four years old, and and it's just not worth it to me in the end to to take that risk. Uh, trading away Marcus Morris now leave, leaves an opening in the you know the starting rotation. What uh, what does that loss mean to you, Ben? What do you what do you kind of read into that, and what do you think it means for the team going forward? Well, and there's a lot to like about Marcus Morris. In some ways, his attitude and his approach to basketball, he was very much the quintessential pinch, piston, right? Like tough nosed. He's going to compete no matter what the score is, et cetera. But um, look, as a starting small forward, his shooting just wasn't up to snuff, and I. I hope he finds himself in a situation where he can he can thrive in a second unit. It'll be interesting to see what Boston does. Um, so you know, losing him, I think you're losing a bit of a locker room presence. You're you're losing some toughness, but you know, I'm not going to miss the long 18 foot fadeaway jump shots with eight seconds left on the shot clock. To be perfectly <laughs> honest with you, the 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 huge elephant in the room right now is what this means for Stanley Johnson. So this to me looks like a huge vote of confidence in Stanley after in a lot of ways a regression in his sophomore campaign in the NBA. Uh, I I think you have to think they're thinking about um, using Tobias Harris as small forward a little bit more than they did last year and and I think they're obviously saying Stanley Johnson is better than he showed a year ago, and he can provide you know quality NBA rotation-worthy minutes at small forward. You know, I talked about shooting with Marcus Morris. Obviously, Stanley hasn't shown that he's any better. He's actually been quite a bit worse. So there's, it's time for Stanley, Stanley to step up. No questions about it. But I think you have to think Tobias Harris is going to find some minutes at the small forward. It'll be interesting to see if he starts or if they start Stanley, uh, because there's certainly going to be some small forwards who would love to be guarded by Tobias Harris because his foot speed. Mm-hmm is a little bit suspect in some matchups. Um, so, you know, I said it, as we were talking about shooting guard, I'm happy with what happened at shooting guard. I am, I don't know what to think about small forward right now. Um, there's obviously some some scheming and some strategizing, and it might be interesting. We might see different starting lineups depending on matchups at small forward, depending on what Van Gundy thinks is more advantageous, Stanley versus uh, Tobias and I, you know, the reports that we've seen yesterday and over the weekend, Andre Drummond is unlikely to remain a Piston. It wouldn't surprise me to see them try to address small forward as as part of a larger deal with Andre if they're really serious about moving him, uh, because small forward remains a pretty big question mark. I think. And I think one of the biggest debates in the Pistons fan community right now is: Do you want to have John Luer start or Stanley Johnson next to Tobias Harris? Mike, which way do you lean on that, and uh, or is there something else that you like for the the starting unit for the Pistons? Yeah, that that was something uh, I've been kind of thinking about. Um, I don't think either one is is quite ideal for for a playoff uh, with you know for a team with playoff hopes. Um, they're you know they're fine players, and there's there's a chance that Stanley puts it all together this year. 
Um, you know, he's obviously been very young since he's been in the league. Um, but you know, he doesn't really do any one thing all that well. Um, yeah, he's, he's a fine defender. I don't think it's on the elite level yet. Um, you know, and then on the other hand, you have Luer, who does a few things okay. We thought he'd maybe be a little bit better shooter from long range. Um, so I, to me, I, I might roll out Stanley and, and Tobias just because I think um, there's a bigger upgrade at power forward there or a bigger um, you know disadvantage as far as the opposing team trying to guard um, Tobias with you know, a, a prototypical power forward. Um, there's more of a of an advantage for the Pistons there. And, you know, and again, also gives Stanley a chance to start some games and see what he's got, too. Um, but we'll see. Um, you know, if history taught us anything with Stan Van Gunny, it's that, you know, he's probably going to pull something that we haven't even thought about yet, which, of course, makes things very uh, exciting. Um so we'll see. Uh, you know, even if the the roster does remain the same until you know opening day, then that's fine. I think it's you know they've overturned like half the roster. I think so. <laughs> well, we'll see what happens. But um, yeah, I think that forward situation is definitely not ideal. Um, you know, unless of course um, Stanley you know shocks everybody and, and turns himself into a really solid starter. But we'll see. Well, and shout out to Jacob Kivenhoven, who a couple years ago, Jordan, I think surprised both of us um, by saying he views Stanley Johnson as a small four, right? And I think one of the things Van Gundy is probably thinking about is using Tobias and Stanley both sort of as tweeners, right? And matching Tobias up on a small forward and, and Stanley up at, on a power forward, depending on matchups. Again, I don't think that's ideal unless Stanley is much improved. Um, but I got to give a shout out to Jacob, who I think saw this coming when I don't think anyone else really did. Yeah, and I, I think uh, with Stanley that it does give us a. Li- You're right; it gives us some some different lineups potentially having Stanley start and and, and maybe mix in Lure as well. Um, I, I agree; both are not ideal, and it kind of leaves me wondering what is the next move what do, what do you think the next move is for this team Ben is it trading Andre Drummond that that is the rumor that just doesn't seem to go away right now yeah I mean it's Roger Andre I think based on the rumors I think with that said if John Lure shoots 35 percent from deep over the first 30 games yeah. he could be tradable as well um, you know he shot I think something like 38 or 39 percent in Phoenix and then something like 29 or 39 percent or 29 or 30 percent last year as a Piston so something's got to give there. He's not that great of a shooter. He's not that bad of a shooter. He's somewhere in the middle. Um, I don't want it to be Andre. I want Andre to find a way to figure it out on defense. I think he's a bit of a scapegoat right now. First year of the big max deal. And look, things didn't go well, not just for Andre, for everybody. I mean, Tobias is probably the only guy who I can say was consistently very good as a Piston last year. Everybody played poorly in, in fits and starts. So... Personally, I'd like to say Andre figure it out. I think when I look at it, a guy like Andre, he's elite at one thing, right? He is the best rebounder on the planet, and that has value. And he's also elite around the rim within two or three feet when all he's got to do is jump and dunk on somebody. 
Um, I think Steve Henson wrote a fantastic post about Andre Drummond's post game, which I'm sure everyone has read by this point. I want him to figure it out on defense and become a competent team defender, and I want them to stop giving him the ball in the post. And I think if they do that, he's still a very useful player, uh, and maybe they don't trade him. Um, I personally, I'd like to see him flip Reggie Jackson. I, I'm not Reggie's biggest fan. Um, but, yeah, those are the three guys that seem obvious to me. Andre and Reggie as kind of the two guys the team is built around at the moment and things haven't worked out. But then I think Lure could be sort of a sleeper trade asset if he shoots the ball well over the first 20 or 30 games. Because he does rebound well, and if he shoots the ball well, uh, he's useful as the kind of guy who goes and stands in the corner and spaces for a, for a pick and roll or a motion-based offense. Yeah, and I thought at the time that he was a perfect signing for just that reason. Yeah. Uh, if he could, you know, he had the skills to really, I think, benefit from, you know, being kind of this outlet in the pick and roll game. And I think he'll have an opportunity early in the season to do exactly that. I think Stan Van will give him plenty of minutes with that starting unit to see if he can, you know, develop even, like you said, even an average three-point shot would be much improved and does make him, you know, a potential trade candidate as well. Uh, I, I, I guess... An, Ben, I think I agree with you. I don't quite understand all of the the hatred that Andre is getting right now from the community and from you know people who who want to continue to change what the Pistons roster looks like. Um, I think I agree that I would rather see Reggie go. Mike, what about you? If it's between the two of them, if the team is kind of stalling out through the first thirty games, uh, which player would you uh, like to see moved if things aren't working out early in the year? Well, I think logically Andre makes sense just because um, he didn't have quite as bad of a year as um, Reggie did, and he doesn't have the injury concerns either um, as far as the knee like Reggie. So, But I, I will be the, 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 uh, the guy who's going to disagree here. Um, I, I would rather see Andre moved. You know, if, if they're not competing um, – it's just something Something about him just rubs me the wrong way. <laughs> Maybe it's because I've played with guys like him uh, on teams before, you know, whether it be basketball or football or something. But I just know that type of guy, the one that's, the one that's super talented, the one that, you know, has kind of maturity problems, not necessarily maybe in his personal life, but when it comes to putting an effort in every night and some guy who's supposed to be the leader of the team – um, it, it just doesn't really, he hasn't really improved. I don't think, you know, he's obviously an elite rebounder and probably the best in the NBA, but as far as defense, you know, I don't know that he's, um, really evolved all that much. His offense is, you know, anything outside of chasing down rebounds and, and dunking when he, when he wants to dunk is just awful. I mean, He's an awful free throw shooter. He's awful in the post. He never passes out of it. Um, yeah, and guys who don't give an effort, just on a personal level, really rub me the wrong way. I understand, you know, he's a, he's a very um, rare athlete. Somebody that big can jump and run like he does. But if you're not going to put forth an effort and put in the time to learn how to play basketball, um, yeah, I, I just don't have any time for that. It's been 10 years since the Pistons have done anything relevant, right? I mean, and for me, pretty, and this is just me, I'm, I'm just kind of getting tired of waiting on guys to, to put it together and do something. So uh, that's just me. Um, I, what you guys are saying 
makes a lot of sense. But I, just last year was just so frustrating. They're supposed to take another step forward. They looked, you know, good against the Cavs. Actually, they they gave them some competition there for being an eight seed, and then this year it just completely falls apart. Guys are sulking. Guys' trade values are at you know all time lows as far as guys like Stanley and uh, Reggie. You know, after the seasons they've had, so that's that's kind of where I'm at with it. No, I think that's that's a, I think it's fair to to say that, and it's a fair concern of Andre Drummond to worry about his effort, his maturity on the court, and how much longer can we continue to bet on him improving as a defender and becoming more consistent, or at least have some sort of go-to offensively. How much longer can we do that before? his value kind of shrinks in the league. And I think that's a good point, Mike, that he has the higher trade value. We probably get a better return in an Andre Drummond trade if we can make contracts work and everything. So, you know, it is something to keep in mind if this team isn't working the way we thought it was going to two years ago, uh, then maybe it, maybe it defaults to Andre going just because he should be the best player. And maybe you can get more out of that than you can out of Reggie. Uh, I will say going into the season that Reggie Jackson has so much to prove that I hope early in the season he can return to form without having to kind of force things on the court. I, I'm worried that uh, he might not be able to find it early and that can kind of uh, hurt, you know, hurt the product on the floor. I'm, I'm really concerned about that early in the season. Let um, me offer a couple reasons why I remain optimistic about Andre Drummond. Yeah. First one, he's 23. He doesn't turn 24 for two more weeks, right? So that's number one. Number two, his second season in the NBA, he's 20 years old, plays about 32 minutes a game, takes nine and a half shots a game, shoots 62% from the field, one of the best rebounders on the planet, scores 13 and a half points a game. 13 and a half points on nine and a half shots, right? Contrast that with everything that's happened since Van Gundy took over. Van Gundy took over and his shots spiked. Last year, down a little bit from the year before, but 11.2 shots a game, right? So that's basically two shots a game he wasn't taking as a sophomore in the NBA. His field goal percentage plummets down to 53% a season ago. That's almost 10 percentage points, right? That gets at that horrible post game that Steve um, detailed so well in his recent post. 13.5 points a game, same as he was off averaging as a sophomore. Now, all of that sounds really bad, and I said I wanted to be optimistic, <laughs> But here, here's where the optimism comes in. If Andre Drummond is willing to be the player he was in his second season in the NBA, and that's a garbage-time player on offense who only shoots after an offensive rebound and only shoots you know, when he's fed the ball three feet away from the basket in the pick-and-roll, Andre Drummond can average 13 points a game and get 13 rebounds a game on an extremely efficient field goal percentage, 62%, right? That's insanely good. That sort of player is worth a max contract to me. When you have a dominant rebounder and a guy who's dominant three feet away from the basket and lives within his limits, that sort of Andre Drummond can be a very, very valuable player for the Pistons. And we've talked in this episode a little bit about hypothetical ceilings, right? This is not a hypothetical ceiling. This is something he proved he could do for 81 games as a 20-year-old kid in the NBA. So to me, it's it's the thing here we don't know is what kills me. We don't know about the relationship between Van Gundy and Drummond. 
and we don't know who is driving this Andre Drummond in the post experiment, right? Like when Van Gundy took over, it was the first thing I criticized. I hated it. And I read it as Van Gundy being the one trying to turn him into some sort of a Dwight Howard light, right? But I don't really know that's the case. I don't know that Van Gundy is driving it. It could be that Andre was driving it, right? And so that's the thing that kills me is I don't know. But what, what I think we can hope for is that Van Gundy and Drummond come to a realization that he's just not a post player and they need to literally eliminate that from the Pistons offense. And if they do, and if Drummond can be engaged in the way he was as a second year player, if he shoots the ball less than 10 point times a game and he still rebounds the way he's been rebounding and makes even a modest improvement on defense, I still think he's a very valuable player. And I, I think it's, again, it's not a hypothetical ceiling. It's something he proves he proved he's capable of doing for an entire season as a 20-year-old kid. No, that, that's that's very true. And I, I think uh, with Drummond, you're right. The, the age is something to, to kind of keep in mind with him and the changes he had so early in his career. I, I think this is a season that's so important to, you know, his, his future development because at this point, year two of his, you know, uh, year two of his contract and hopefully playing with a healthy Reggie Jackson again, th- this to me is kind of the make or break year for him. And, and that's why I hope we're done seeing move, uh, seeing trades or any sort of moves on the roster for the off season, because at this point I'd like to lock in and at least see what the team looks like for 25 to 30 games before we start to make, make up our minds. And I, I hope Van Gunny has the patience to do that. Uh, but Ben, I think you make a great point that, we don't really know all of the motivating factors behind how Andre Drummond has played the last few years. Uh, but the one thing I would like to see improve is this. If he can improve defensively, to me, those those post looks that he's getting to maybe keep him engaged or, or whatever the, the main you know motivation is behind doing that, it might be worth it if we're seeing a guy who is a you know, top five level rim protector. If he, can, if he can get to that level, which I think we all know he has the potential to do, then it's it's worth it to me to keep him engaged the way Van Gundy used to have to do with Dwight Howard. And so the, you're right, that's the question. We just don't know if, one, Andre Drummond is coachable, two, if Van Gundy is the right coach for a coachable player, three, what that relationship looks like, right? We, as fans, we don't have access to any of those things. If If that relationship is unsalvageable, then the Pistons need to move on, right? There's no question about it. But from where I sit as a fan, like... Andre Drummond is, there's what, maybe three or four guys on the planet who are capable of what he's doing when he's playing well, right? He's almost seven feet tall. He's fast. He's mobile on his feet. There's just, there's just very few human beings on the planet with that set of physical tools. And I just, I can't see giving up on him when he's only 23 years old. If, if there's a relationship between the player and the coach, that's still salvageable. It, your point about keeping him engaged is interesting. It, it brings to mind... Uh, what the Pistons did with Ben Wallace. I think this was under Flip Saunders. I was thinking about it yesterday. I can't remember if it was under Flip or Larry Brown, where they'd throw him the ball in the post one or two times really early in the game in the first quarter, and they'd do the same thing in the third quarter. And, you know, it was so transparently obvious what they were doing, but it worked. If, if If they could do that with him... I'd be totally cool with it, right? Like, I could handle two or three bad shots a game if that's what it takes to keep him engaged. But otherwise, this post-experiment, man, it's just, it's time for it, for everyone involved to just move on. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And you're right. If if uh, if anyone listening has not read Steve Henson's article on Andre Drummond that was posted within, I, I think, the last few weeks here, uh, it's definitely one to check out. Uh, it, really, there's been a lot of good content recently uh, on DetroitBadBoys.com, and I hope if you're listening to the podcast that you take a look at the website and, and vice versa. It's uh, definitely right now during what's what's the down season for the league when – blogs like ours get to have some fun and and we can take some deep dives into things like andre's post game or uh recently uh hypno wheel looking at the pistons leadership void uh, which is another great article that's been posted in the last few days uh mike i want to give you the last word here you know we've talked about the off season uh if you had to put a letter grade on it what grade would you give the pistons off season and why i give it a b uh b's above average right uh, i'm pretty sure that's what i got through school so <laughs> um, no, I I like what they've done. Uh, I think they they've done a lot more than we expected as far as being up against the cap so tight. Um, we kind of expected maybe a couple low level guys getting signed, KCP getting re-signed, and maybe a trade, um, depending on what they wanted to do as far as um, you know their forward situation or obviously Andre or Reggie. So. Um, it, it, I'm, I'm cool with it. I'll, we'll see how things play out. Uh, they, they drafted Kennard, which we touched on, and he brings a lot of shooting. Same with Galloway. Um, I think Ben, Ben had a great point about their strategy as far as signing low-level guys like that and maybe overpaying for them. Um, I don't think that strategy's worked out for them. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of interesting to see why they do it again. But, you know, he does bring at least some of the uh, skill set that is lacking in the Pistons. But, um, you know, I, I think maybe some of that, too, is just them being aggressive. Um, they, I think they know they might have to overpay guys to come to Detroit, which isn't, you know, one of the very first or maybe even in the middle of, of guys' wish lists as far as places to live, which I can certainly understand, um, you know, being a pro athlete. But... Uh, you know, there's also a gamble if you wait, you know, on those guys that you like and you think will fit into the team and bring things that you need, they might be gone. So I think there's kind of a, a catch-22 there. So um, I'm okay with, with being aggressive on things and then, then not turning out. Um, I'm, I'm kind of that way on most things. <laughs> so I'd rather them swing and miss than... than get struck out looking. So I'm okay with that. Yeah. I think that's a good way to put it. Uh, just, uh, let everybody know how they can get a hold of you on Detroit bad boys and on the internets. Sure. So, um, obviously I'll be, I'll be around on DVB. Um, maybe not so much when football season starts. I'm a huge Steelers fan and, uh, I follow them very closely. So I have time for, Steelers and Pistons and really not much else when it comes to sports because I follow them so closely. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, you can find me. I'm, I'm super dupe, which is, uh, you know, I have my little avatar is Ronald Dupree. Um, I like bringing back some of the more obscure players. Um, but also it's kind of a funny nickname that Rashid Wallace gave to him back in the day. So that always kind of made me laugh, but as far as like social media and stuff, you can find me on Facebook, uh, LinkedIn. Uh, my name again is Mike 
last name Nickel, N-I-C-O-L. So if anybody wants to connect there, that's cool. Uh, I tweet. Um, my handle there is Mike D for three, and that's F-O-R-T-H-R-E-E spelled out. So um, I've already connected with some with some guys from DBB, so um, mostly on Facebook. So if you want to get a hold of me on there, um, just shoot me a message. Let me know who you are on the site, and let's link up. Yeah, definitely. So uh, if you're out there listening to this podcast and you want to link up with Mike, that's all his info there. And uh, I, I guess we haven't give out, given out our information in a while. Ben, maybe we should do that as well. I'm uh, at J.D. Bell. Let me try that again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm at Bell. <laughs> Got it. I'm at J.D. Bell 20 on Twitter. Uh, probably the best place to find me is on Twitter. It's where I'm the most active. And Ben, what about you? Yeah, Twitter's good as well, at BR Gulker. Same, well, I used to be BR Gulker on DVB, but switched to, the, switched to the full name at one point. So BR Gulker on Twitter's best place to connect. Yes, within the last season, both of you have moved to the, the full name. Yeah. Which I, I, I like. I like how uh, people have responded to just calling me Jordan on DBB. <laughs> uh, well, thanks, guys, for, uh, for coming on. And, Mike, thanks so much. Maybe we'll have you on during the season to uh, talk about some of, the, some of the things we've talked about in this off-season chat. For sure. Appreciate the time, and uh, it was a lot of fun. So, yeah, if, if you'd like to have me back, I will certainly do so. <laughs> Absolutely. No, we cool. definitely will. Cool. All right, sounds good. Thanks, Thanks guys. so much, guys. Awesome.